0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me, if you would, once again in the book of Isaiah. We are in Isaiah chapter 38. Isaiah chapter 38, a very long chapter, although chapter 37 had more verses Chapter 38 had more development and uh, Carol had a Dickens of a time trying to put the notes the through the Bible notes in the uh, bulletin as usual so it didn't fit on the back page she had to put a uh, she had to put an insert in the uh, in the bulletin these notes by the way from week to week are old um, 2002. They go back to our Through the Bible series in 2002. And that's not really a problem because Isaiah hasn't changed since 2002. They're, they're... They're still valid notes. They're they're excellent notes as far as that goes. I recommend them wholeheartedly. But uh, they are for the through the Bible series, which was very fast. We did we did 1,189 chapters in in 52 weeks, and uh, 260 hours of teaching over the over the span. And when you're trying to, that's even faster than one chapter per week in uh, in Isaiah, like we're doing now. So. The notes are good, but uh, the, the new notes, which you're seeing on the screen today, and the new Isaiah notes that will be in your hand when the Isaiah, Isaiah series is finished, they're going to be more fleshed out. They're going to have more development. They're going to be largely repeated, but with greater detail. So don't be surprised related to that. Although today's chapter, I noticed, has a lot of cut and paste between, uh, between the Through the Bible notebook and what you're going to see on the screen today. All right. Isaiah 38, in those days Hezekiah became mortally ill. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. And we have here the pronouncement of the sin unto death, pronouncement of divine discipline upon King Hezekiah. And uh, to put his affairs in order. And uh, if you're familiar with the story, you're familiar with the uh, the outcome of this chapter, he does not die at the end of this chapter. He repents, he, he goes to prayer, he grieves, we're told, about his sorrow in in this prayer. And we see the response that he actually does not die. In fact, he gets a 15-year extension to his life, all right? So this is a chapter that grabs a lot of people's attention. They, want, they raise their hand and they say, Pastor, um, where do I sign up for that, Okay. Can I can I add years to my life? And then other folks raise a hand and say, "Well, pastor, um, I have another verse over here that says I can't add any years to my life. Which of you, by being anxious, can add even a single cubit to his lifespan?" And so there are very uh, there are a number of scriptures we need to look at, and we will look at here today to relate these passages one to another and into uh, the effort that we put into it to harmonize the truth of every statement God makes. God is absolutely truthful in every passage of scripture. And we don't fall into an either or trap to say, well, this is true and these must be false. No verse of scripture is false. They're all true in what they are communicating. And as we reconcile them one to another is where we find the best exercise of of being noble-minded. Noble-minded like the Bereans to search the scriptures and see if these things are so. Noble-minded to dig into all things, even the deep things of God. And that's what we're going to be doing here today. It's also Communion Sunday, which means I have fewer minutes than a typical Sunday. So I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer. And then uh, if you can fasten your seatbelts, we are going to uh, rock it through uh, this particular chapter here today. So join me, if you would, in a word of prayer. Almighty Father, we acknowledge Your glory on this day, and we confess to You, Father, our need of You, the inability we have in and of ourselves to stand before You in our own name, in our own merit, and our own ability. Father, who are we that You should reveal Yourself to us, that You should disclose Your mind, Your thinking, Your purpose, Your truth? And yet, Father, in Christ, You have freely given us all things we thank you for the truth of your word we thank you for the indwelling of the holy spirit we thank you for the blessings of this day to assemble together and to receive instruction and we call upon your faithfulness to lead us into the truth to open the eyes of our understanding to lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake father we haven't earned it we haven't deserved it but for your name's sake father you will equip your uh, the bride for your son and I thank you on this day that we're going to study to show ourselves approved, for it is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. All right, following the great faith victory of chapter 37, we're now ready to observe a faith defeat in chapter 38. I've been uh, putting this slide up here in the last couple of weeks to show you the parallels. Isaiah 36 through 39 is largely parallel with Second Kings, uh, chapters 18, 19, and 20. And it's almost verse by verse in many of the chapters, particularly in Isaiah 36 and 2 Kings 18, Isaiah 37 and 2 Kings 19. We start to hit some distinctions now because much of Isaiah chapter 38 is not contained in 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20 is only 11 verses, all right? Uh, The first 1 through 11 is what covers Isaiah 38, and that's 22 verses. And the reason being, as we'll see here this morning, is Isaiah composes a song. Uh, Isaiah was a lot like Doug or, or Doug was a lot like Isaiah or, or however that works musicians uh musicians think differently, and they put they put words to music and it helps them to remember, and it helps them to express the love of their soul and Hezekiah has a love in his soul that's reflected in the content of what he writes here. Uh, in verses 9 and following, uh, a writing of Hezekiah king of Judah after his illness and recovery. And so that writing and the the psalm that's composed here in these verses that follow is not contained in uh, 2 Kings chapter 20. If you read the narrative of 2 Kings 20 verses 1 through 11 you're going to miss out on the song of Hezekiah. Likewise, next week when we return for Isaiah chapter thirty-nine, I, I really am thankful. Next week only has eight verses, so if I run out of time today, I'm going to steal some uh, some time next week to uh, to get caught up. Uh, but the eight verses of Roman of uh, chapter thirty-nine make up the remainder of Second Kings chapter twenty, verses twelve through nineteen in uh, in Second Kings. All right, following the great faith victory of chapter thirty-eight. King Hezekiah suffers a faith defeat, and he's going to be disciplined by the Lord with a terminal illness. He receives a terminal illness, and the only reason it doesn't kill him, unlike you and I when we get terminal illnesses, uh, is because God assigned him the terminal illness, and then he revoked that divine discipline. And he granted the extension of life, the 15 years, back out to the point that it was originally decreed before the foundation of the world. And that's part of what we're going to have to discuss here today is how many days do we have that are numbered before the foundation of the world? And are there any variables that might be attached to that X number of days? And uh, by the time we finish here in a few minutes, you're going to see that that is in fact the case. Uh, One thing to pay attention to, of course, is that it's not uncommon for a great victory to be followed by a great defeat. In fact, I believe it's the pattern of Scripture that oftentimes in the case of human beings we uh, get kind of you know happy that we just had a great victory you know peter has a shining moment where he declares thou art the christ son of the living god and jesus says blessed are you simon barjona for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you and peter has the shining moment there in matthew chapter 16 do you know what happens in the very next paragraph Jesus starts to prepare him for the cross, and Peter says, God forbid it, Lord, this should never happen to you. And in the very next paragraph, after hearing, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Just one paragraph later. Okay. probably just seconds later or a few minutes after the, uh, the literal event took place in the life of Christ. So we have great victories followed by great defeats. Abraham had great victories and then great defeats. David had great victories and then great defeats. Why was Goliath such a great victory and Bathsheba was such a great defeat? You think, well, David should have learned from his great victories and done better later on. That's not always the case. Sometimes we get complacent in our victories. Sometimes we get prideful in our victories, claiming that they were maybe ours instead of God's. And the next thing we know, pride is setting us up for the fall, as pride does precede a fall. This is in the case here with King Hezekiah. He was a great king. From beginning to end, he was a great king. The end was not as much. Okay, A couple of items that will detract from his overall legacy and they happen at the end of his life. Next week is the worst of all when he betrays his uh, nation to the Babylonians. And uh, we'll discuss that in chapter 39. Now the verses are a little bit out of order. Verses 1 through 6, verses 21 and 22, and verses 7 and 8. That's the better, I agree with Kyle and Delitz. That's the original order of the Hebrew manuscript until because of miscopying those two verses were placed out of order and uh, even with mark uh, text markings in the hebrew manuscripts that weren't carried across even the septuagint copied the bad versification the author of uh, kings did better with it but the author uh, the, the scribes that copied isaiah did not do as well as the scribes that copied second kings and so um, we're going to take them in this order verses one through six and then verses 21 and 22, which are really odd and bizarre at the end of the chapter. And then we'll back up to verses uh, 7 and 8. So uh, we already said verse 1, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you how I have walked before you in truth with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. Drop down to verse 21. Now Isaiah had said, Let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Then Hezekiah had said, what is the sign that the Lord, uh, that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? Back to verse 7, this shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he has spoken. Behold, I will cause the shadow on the stairway which has gone down with the sun on the stairway of Ahaz to go back ten steps or to go back 10 degrees. We'll discuss this. So the sun's shadow went back 10 steps on the stairway on which it had gone down. Here's a, here's a miracle of God whereby the clock is moved back 10 steps, or 10 degrees on the sundial, or 10 steps on the staircase. All right, like the longest day of Joshua where the sun hangs in the sky for hours and hours on end until the victory is complete. Here we have another miracle of that nature that the unbeliever says is impossible. How could, how could the planet stop spinning, or how could the planet spin backwards, or how could, how could this happen, all right? And uh, I don't know about you, but I don't need to understand the mechanics of how God did something to trust that God did something when he said he did something, as in creating the earth, okay? Uh, the God who created everything out of nothing has control of what he created, and so I'm okay with that. By the way, if you want to, I won't. i I don't have time today. But if you want to go and read the parallel in Second Kings, you find that the Lord actually gave uh, gave him a choice. He says, "Do you want me to speed up the clock by ten steps or move the clock back by ten steps?" And uh, Hezekiah says, "Well, I've never seen the clock go backwards, so uh, <laughs> move it move it back ten steps." And that's what uh, that's what the Lord does here. All right. Hezekiah responded to his death sentence with prayer and great weeping, with prayer and great weeping. And I want to leave it as an open question and not jump all over Hezekiah for being a weak sister at this moment, Um, because that's too often how it's preached. That's too easy to preach it that way. Um, It's too easy to read into his heart motivation what he's saying Uh, It almost sounds like he's a a grumbling, um, you know, grumble bus here in verse 3 where he's blaming God saying, after all I've done for you, I've been good, I've done this, I've been good, how can you do this? All right? And that may not be the case. I believe we can make a positive statement that this could be a positive statement of faith because we have the example of Jesus. And Jesus, in the days of his flesh, uttered forth cries, uh, crying and tears in his prayer life. So this is not necessarily a failure on Hezekiah's part. Hebrews 5, keep going to Hebrews today. Last hour I spent most of the Galatians class in Hebrews. This hour I'm back in Hebrews again. I should just throw out all these series and go ahead and teach a book of Hebrews at some point. But Hebrews chapter 5. Here's Christ. Are we going to start assigning him a weak sister moment? Are we going to assign carnality to him? Or say he's uh, he's boohoo crying here and blaming God for something unfair? I don't think that's the case. Hebrews 5, 7 says, In the days of his flesh he offered up both prayers and supplications, notice, with loud crying and tears, to the one able to save him from death. Now notice, he's praying to the one able to save him from death, but the one who won't save him from death because God the Father is sending him to his death. If he doesn't die on the cross, we don't get saved. But he's praying to the one able to save him. You ever pray to the one able to give you something and then are you thankful when he doesn't give it to you? He's able to give it to you, but in his wisdom he chose not to. Whatever it was you're asking for is not what you needed because no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Right? He's, he gives this from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Every good thing every perfect gift bestowed comes down from above. So If he doesn't give it to you it's not a good thing. It's not a perfect gift. You don't need it. You don't want it. Stop wanting it if he's not giving it to you. But he offered with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death And he was heard because of his piety. Hezekiah was heard. Why do you think Hezekiah was heard? Do we think it's a weak sister prayer? He's blaming God. He's griping and moaning. Well, I've been good. I've been good. You can't do this to me. And God says, oh, all right. You're right. I forgot. You were really a good king. Okay, I'll let you live 15 more years. I don't believe that's the case at all. It's much bigger than that. I think Hezekiah had the capacity to appreciate that. So, Here's Jesus. And although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. The the lesson is it's a learning process. Jesus was still learning in Gethsemane. He was still learning even on the cross. He was learning by the human experience of what he walked. I believe likewise with Hezekiah. What did Hezekiah learn? He learned and then he failed and then he learned more in his discipline because he did fail. The sin of death was a sign because of a failure. I'm convinced of that. But then he repented immediately and went to prayer as soon as Isaiah said, you're a dead man, put your affairs in order. And Hezekiah went to prayer, just like David did. Nathan showed up and convicted David, said, David, you're the man, you deserve to die. And King David said, I've sinned. He confessed right there on the spot. And, and I love what prophet Nathan then says, all right, the Lord has heard your prayers, you will not die. David was that close to the sin and the death. Hezekiah was that close to the sin and the death. It was actually assigned to him. And then he was healed. It goes on. uh, So having been made perfect, this is Jesus in Hebrews 5, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Anyway, there's more with respect to Christ and his pattern and what it is that it equipped him to do because he endured the suffering that he endured. So yeah, I don't read these verses about remember now, O Lord, I beseech you. I think he's accepted his, his death sentence. He doesn't ask the Lord to heal him. He just says, remember me. It's almost like the thief on the cross said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. The thief on the cross didn't expect to be delivered from the cross. He expected to die. He just asked Jesus to remember him when he entered into his kingdom. I believe Hezekiah expected to die and said, remember me when I enter into your kingdom. He was looking forward to his reward. He knew he laid up treasure in heaven. He knew that he was, he was uh, going to enter into this. So why is he weeping bitterly? I think there's another issue involved that we don't see quite yet. We don't see until we turn a few chapters. Actually, in Isaiah, we don't see it at all. We've got to go back to Second Kings to find out the real issue. The sadness that he has is not for his own sake. We'll talk about that as well. But his prayer is answered. His prayer is answered, and I think this is key. This, is, this unlocks the whole chapter. His prayer is answered by Yahweh, the God of David. That's, that's uncommon. That's very uncommon, but it's key to unlocking this chapter. His prayer is answered by Yahweh, the God of David, not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not the God of Israel, not the Elohim, the, the God possessor of heaven and earth, not El Shaddai, not Yahweh Tzivayoth, or any of the other titles. The God of David. Why is that? that? That rarely shows up in the Old Testament. The God of David. Because the grief that he had in his heart was not for his own sake, it was for David's sake. The house of David, the throne of David. That's what he's weeping over. And it's the God of David, I believe this, uh, we can read between the lines here, what not only Isaiah is saying, but what we can infer based upon what's being said here. Okay? I'm not eisegeting or reading into Scripture. I'm reading out of Scripture. Hezekiah has promised 15 additional years. Isn't that what he asked for? He asked, remember me, like the thief on the cross. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Hezekiah said, remember me, ready to die. And God answers his prayer and says, all right, I'll remember you, but in 15 years you got more to do. <laughs> okay? Actually, you got to give birth to a son because Manasseh is not even born yet. The next king isn't even born yet. That's the key to this chapter. Okay, fifteen years from now, Manasseh will take the throne at the age of twelve. What does that tell you? It Tells you he's not here yet. He's, he won't be here for three more years after this chapter. We don't even know if, if if Hezekiah even knows Hephzibah yet. And I'm, you know, of all the weddings I've ever done, I'm glad I never had to officiate Hezekiah and Hephzibah. Can you imagine? All right. Just twisting my names around. Now, Hezekiah has promised 15 additional years of physical life, as well as, verse 6, personal deliverance from Assyria and protection to Jerusalem. Look at the rest of this answer. Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your father David, that's key. I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. They seem to be separate issues behold, I will add 15 years to your life. He goes on to say, I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. Now that right there tells me what Hezekiah's defeat was all about, because this is redundant on God's part. This is repetitive. he had already made this promise in chapter 37. Hezekiah's great victory in chapter 37 was the deliverance from Assyria. See, verse 6 is redundant from chapter 37 and verse 35, or 33 through 35. I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. He has to defend Jerusalem for his sake because the Jews are the covenant people, and he's going to defend where he dwells, his dwelling place of his sanctuary. But also for my servant David's sake. He promised David that his heir would sit on the throne forever. And there's Hezekiah without an heir. And so the promise comes in verse 35 that I will defend this city. Why is it being repeated now in in chapter 38? I think that's our clue. That sometime between these chapters, Hezekiah began to doubt the promises of God. Hezekiah started to think, well... What if Assyria comes back? The sign that he was given was a three-year sign. That you know, what kind of you got to have faith for three years to plant and and get a crop on that third year. All right. It came a point. I, I'm convinced because of verse six here being repeated, I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, like I said I would. Okay, that that gets repeated because that's what Hezekiah stopped believing in between these two chapters. And his lack of faith led God to step in and say, oh, you don't trust me, huh? Fine. You're a dead man. Put your affairs in order. And sometimes we've got to stare death right in the face before we get serious about our Christian walk. Why is that? Why do some Christians don't get serious about their walk until their life's a wreck? You ever think about that? Anyway, these are some of the dynamics of what I think is taking place. The miracle sign was given as evidence that the Lord will do what man cannot do. <laughs> okay? Man cannot add one cubit to his lifespan, but God can. God can. And uh, to prove that, he'll go ahead and move the clock back ten steps. Now, if this could have been a sundial, like the Babylonians had sundials, it could have actually been vertical. I think it's the language of stairway is probably the best way to translate this. But it was still, it was a stairway that, used, that was used as a sundial related to how the shadows would creep down the steps and how they mark time. So here's a miracle sign that's given. God does what man cannot do. It's a good reminder. God does what man cannot do. You know, the God that declared you righteous and gave you eternal life, isn't that enough? (laughs) What can he not do? Why do we grow so weak that God can uh, handle, handle my employment issues? My financial issues, my health issues, whatever. My marriage issues or my children issues or whatever. Okay? What can God not do? Look what He's already done. The Creator God of the universe who took a sinner and provided eternal life. Are you kidding me? What can He not do? Now, I I enjoy this. The stairway of Ahaz. Here's the sign. The stairway of Ahaz... Remember how that that conduit was so significant? The conduit by the the upper pool? Think about this stairway. Who was Ahaz, right? Ahaz was Hezekiah's father. Ahaz was the previous king. Ahaz was the knucklehead that wouldn't ask for a sign even though he was commanded to ask for a sign. He got all indignant and said, oh no, I'm not going to put the Lord my God to the test. I'm not going to ask for a sign. I find that interesting. All right. The stairway of Ahaz is quite ironic, since it was Hezekiah's father who was disobedient and who would not ask for a sign. And if you were with us, I realize that many folks were not with us, 31 weeks ago in chapter seven, plus a couple of extra weeks for the Ukraine trip, um, way back in chapter seven, there was a king named Ahaz who wouldn't ask for a sign. And so Isaiah kind of said, okay, fine. If you won't ask for a sign, I'll give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a sign. You like that? How's that for a sign? And we get the virgin birth prophecy of Jesus Christ because Ahaz, the knucklehead, wouldn't obey God and ask for a sign. Even though he was told, ask for whatever sign you want, make it as high as heaven or deep as shale. Ask for anything. He could have asked for anything. And he didn't. So Isaiah gave him the virgin birth prophecy. And I find that interesting. And now here's this staircase that was built. It's named after the guy. And his son is now king. Hezekiah is now king, the son of Ahaz. And that's the mechanism the Lord said, "Oh, I'm going to show you now. We're going to move this shadow back 10 steps. We're going to roll back the clock and give you 15 extra years. Understand, man cannot lengthen the extent of our determined lifespan. It's a fruitless endeavor, but it doesn't stop a whole lot of people from trying to find mechanisms to provide artificial, physical life. Job 14, 5, Psalm 139, verse 16, Matthew 6, 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add even a single cubit to his lifespan? And we accept this. God is sovereign. He has determined our days. He has determined our days. That's why when I went to war and uh, everybody was all scared, well, what if you don't come back? Or what if you die in in, in Iraq and you don 't come back, they were trying to tell us we should go get a quickie marriage so that my fiance could collect my life insurance that uh, well that 's a good reason to get married. just uh, we 'll do that, but you know what my days are numbered, and it doesn 't matter if i 'm on a battlefield in iraq it doesn 't matter if i 'm in a church in austin texas it doesn 't matter if i 'm in the safest place or what I think is the safest place in the world. When my X number of days are up, my X number of days are up. And I believe that. And that's, there is the appropriate doctrine of X number of days. But I think that's a limited understanding. We need to expand it to the Y number of days and the Z number of days. We need to understand the X, Y, and Z number of days that God has not only sovereignly determined, but also permissively either shortens or extends. Job fourteen five. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you, and his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. You can be the, the best marathon running, vegetarian, healthy, nutritious, whatever, and, or you could be the biggest pluckers eating. Uh, careful. Now I'm not mocking nutrition or health or exercise, don't get me wrong. You have X number of days and the the final batch of those could be pretty ugly if you abuse your body. But understand what I'm saying. God has set boundaries and we can't go past them. He can, however, graciously extend them if he so chooses. And there are promises connected to that. Psalm 139, verse 16. It's interesting. So much of Hezekiah's writing here comes from David, comes from the Psalms. Here's a psalm of David's. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. That is, when he was in the the womb, God knew him. You wove me in my mother's womb. You formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. That's verse 13. Um, Verse 16, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. In your book all were written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them before you have one day postpartum breathing God's good air, every single day has been determined in His plan. He can count the hairs on your head. He knows the days of your physical life. And of course, Jesus in the message there in Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. God knows you need to eat. God knows you need food. God knows you need covering. He's way ahead of you. He's making provision. Now God can... Sovereignly lengthen the extent of our determined lifespan. He could also shorten it by means of the sin unto death. Okay, But he can lengthen it. Children, honor your father and mother. Is that not the first commandment with a promise? And what's the promise? You will live long. There is a lengthening of the lifespan, and it's not by itself either. Exodus 20, verse 12, Deuteronomy 6, verse 2. They're not alone. We've seen repeatedly in Proverbs... Divine blessings as an extension of life, length of days it says proverbs three two and sixteen proverbs four ten proverbs nine eleven proverbs ten twenty seven so I recommend before you go vegan you get doctrine all right. And again, I'm not being mocking or dismissive or whatever. Do what you want to do. You've got liberty in Christ, to do whatever. Proverbs 3, 2 and 16, Proverbs 4, 10, Proverbs 9, 11, Proverbs 10, 27. I'm going to assign that as homework. In the interest of our diminished time on Communion Sunday. So this is why I believe... There's an X number of days, there's also a Y number of days, there's a Z number of days. And God is brilliant enough in his foreknowledge that he sees all of the conditional possibilities. What would your life have been like if you had done this, if you had done that, if you had done this other thing? All right. And God in his wisdom is smart enough to, uh, well, first of all, he keeps you alive long enough to get saved. How about that? Amen? (laughs) All right. Keeps you alive long enough to get saved and then he continues to sovereignly organize your circumstances and details. But then sadly in the Ananias and Sapphira example, he may shorten your life too. Hezekiah, he may shorten your life. Had Hezekiah not repented in this chapter he would have died right here and there. And I don't know what God would have done with the Davidic covenant after that. I think God's smart enough to have done something with it. All right. you think? Yeah, I think God's smart enough to be way ahead of us. Understand, this is maybe the biggest thing of the chapter. Second biggest thing of the chapter. I don't know. There's a lot of things in this chapter. The bonus 15 years is critical. Because, see, Manasseh is only 12 years old when he succeeds his father. 2 Kings chapter 21 and verse 1. He's a 12-year-old on the throne. Okay? And, you know, what kind of king does a 12-year-old make? (laughs) Well, he's got a great dad, but unfortunately what we're going to learn next week is his dad is uh, kind of, he's making some mistakes in his older years. He's making choices he wouldn't make in his younger years. And not to say that he's uh, diminished in his spiritual capacity, but next week is going to be a disappointment for us when we read chapter 39, Okay. Solomon, the end of his life, was a disappointment. David, the end of his life, was a disappointment. David uh, let things get out of hand or didn't have Solomon's succession firmly organized. And so there was a coup attempt against Solomon. David uh, didn't have a handle on it. Anyway. Evidently, the seed of David promise was heavy on Hezekiah's part. I don't believe it's coincidental at all that he says Yahweh, the God of David, has heard your prayers. Because that title is so unusual. Much more common to have the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, the God of your fathers, the God of Israel. All these are the titles. The God of David. That's unusual. Yahweh, the God of David. If this was evidently on his heart, then. We can understand the, uh, the nature of the prayer. And we can go back and we can read on verse 3 and maybe understand more behind what he's saying there about um, walked before you in truth with a whole heart and done what is good in your sight. When a king does that, what does Scripture say? It says he's walking after the example of his father David. Remember the the kings in the south were either good kings or bad kings and they were good kings if they were walking after the Lord with all their heart like their father David had done. Likewise, verses 19 and 20 here as well. uh, In his composition, he says, It is the living who give thanks to you as I do today. A father tells his sons about your faithfulness. He composes this hymn and realizes He's got babies to give birth to. He's going to have to tell his son about this sin unto death and the recovery in physical life. And the Lord will surely save me. So we will play my songs on stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me, right? All the days of my life. You see how shaped he is by Davidic thinking, by Davidic psalms? And it's one thing, I mean, if you're the heir to David on David's throne singing David's psalms, but then you get to write your own psalms. You get to sing your own songs. Is what he was looking forward to. So evidently, the seed of David's promise was heavy on Hezekiah's heart. So many parallels in what he writes in the psalm. Psalm 26, I think, can uh, can be brought into focus here. Here's a Davidic psalm. It says, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Was was this a weak sister moment for David? Was David boo-hooing and blaming God, or saying it's not fair? I've been good. See, this is I'm telling you, carnal humanity does this. We disagree. We lose our job and say that's not right. God, I've been good. <laughs> Wait a minute. What are you saying? God's not good. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart, for your chesed, your loving kindness, is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. Here's a Davidic psalm. And I think this is what shaped his prayer when he utters his prayer in thirty-eight, three. All right, so he gets these bonus years, and he gets, if he's not married yet, then he's, or maybe he is married, we don't know. Hephzibah is the mother. We don't even see her until... 2 Kings 21, when Manasseh takes the throne. Now, let's talk about this song, the writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after his illness and recovery, verses 9 and following, basically 9 through 20, the rest of this chapter. King Hezekiah responded to God's grace by composing a written testimony. He composed a written testimony. I wish I was more of a writer. I don't write much. Maybe if I wrote more, I'd get better skilled at it and whatever else. But writing, poetry, writing set to music. This is, uh, this is Hezekiah and his creativity. This is David and his creativity. This is a lot of folks and their creativity. God is the creator, and he has blessed humanity with, most of us, with creativity in some sort. Musical, artistic Dance, what what have you? Find your realm of creativity, because this is part of being in the image of God. And this is Hezekiah. Hezekiah is a writer, all right. Lee's a writer. I like Lee's writing, and a lot of you are very creative. Of course, Doug's a songwriter and different things there. So what's he going to do? He's going to write. What do I do? I go into the mine and study. (laughs) I like to study. All right. Um, So I said, in the middle of my life, I am to enter the gates of Sheol. My days aren't up yet, but I'm leaving early. In the middle of my life, it's like, wow, class isn't even over yet, and the pastor just left the pulpit. What's he doing? In the middle of my life, I am to enter the gates of Sheol. I am to be deprived of the rest of my years. He knows he's under the sin of the death. And yet God forgave him, and he recovered. So he composes this song this written testimony. We know he was a musician. Scripture records this. Second 2 Chronicles 29.30, Hezekiah was a collector of David's and Asaph's psalms, and he organized the Levitical choirs for their singing. Scripture tells us this. In fact, in all likelihood, the reason why we have Psalms 1 through 150 in the order that we have them in is because of Hezekiah. Hezekiah collected the whole corpus, the whole body of David and Asaph and Solomon, whoever else wrote the Psalms, put them into the five books of Psalms that we have. Did you know that 150 Psalms are organized into five books? Why are they in that order? Why are they collected in that way? Why are they put in that precise arrangement? How were they canonized in that order? We know how they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, how they were first written as individual psalms, but how were they then collected and collated and canonized to the Hebrew canon? I believe Hezekiah was the primary agent of doing that, along with Ezra later on after the captivity. Hezekiah was also a collector and compiler of Solomon's Proverbs. If you're with us on Wednesday mornings, we've already seen this in Proverbs. But you get to Proverbs 25, it's like the book starts all over again. Right, Proverbs 1 1 says the Proverbs of Solomon, how the book gets started here. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. But then you go to Proverbs 25, and what does it say? It says, These also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. He oversaw the process of collecting Solomon's Proverbs that had not been canonized by Solomon, they were written by Solomon, but he collects them, he processes them, he edits them, he puts them together, he canonizes them, under the Holy Spirit's leading, of course. We understand canonicity. These, are the, these also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. I believe Solomon died not knowing the fraction of his Proverbs that were going to end up in the canon. Of course, Hezekiah was also a musician and songwriter in his own day. Clearly, he says, we're going to sing my songs. We will play my songs on string instruments all the days of our life at the house of the Lord. This son that he's looking forward to giving birth to, Manasseh. Wicked, wicked king. But for 12 years, he raised that boy, sang these songs, gave him a good start. All right. Now, the uh, what I don't have time for, if it was not a communion Sunday, we might be able to spend more on this. But Hezekiah's Song of Repentance contains themes from throughout the book of Psalms, but particularly David, a little bit of Asaph, but mostly Davidic songs of repentance. Songs of repentance. The best thing he had going for him is Hezekiah could learn from King David who knew how to confess, right? David was a man after God's own heart, not because he was perfect or never sinned. He was a man after God's own heart because when he did sin and he was exposed on it, he threw himself on the Lord's mercy and he confessed. When he's given his choice of divine discipline, he said, you know, military defeat or plague or or these other things. He says, I'm going to be in God's hands. Don't put me in man's hands. And he submitted to the hand of God for his divine discipline. David understood repentance. And many of David's psalms are psalms of repentance. We wouldn't have Psalm 51, Psalm 63, Psalm 32, or 34. We wouldn't have many of these psalms had it not been for David's sin and his repentance and his recovery and his restoration. See, the, the purpose isn't to throw a man out of office when he's caught in a sin. The purpose is to restore him when he's learned the, the lessons that he learns in that process. And thank God David lived on to write Psalm 51 and Psalm 63 and all these, the, the end of David's life contained these things. So... um as we look through these verses, and you can probably spot some of these. Um, Verse 11, I said, I will not see the Lord, the Lord, in the uh, land of the living. I will look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. That echoes a Davidic psalm. Like a shepherd's tent, my dwelling is pulled up and removed from me. Who was the shepherd? Right? David. Uh, As a weaver, I rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From the day until night, you make an end of me. I composed my soul until morning like a lion, so he breaks all my bones. That's Davidic right there. From day until night, you make an end of me. See, the reason that God puts his hand of judgment on you is that you finally get sick and tired of being sick and tired. (laughs) You finally respond to the divine discipline and say, Lord, all right, yes, I'm repenting. I'm done. Thank you, Lord. I confess. I want to be back in fellowship. Remove the discipline. Like a swallow, like a crane, so I Twitter. This was years before Twitter, okay? And there it is. I moan like a dove. My eyes look wistfully to the heights. This is Davidic. Oh my, this echoes David's psalms. O oh Lord, I am oppressed. Be my security. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me and he himself has done it. I will wander about all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. Anyway, there's a lot here. The... Um, you want this list shoot me an email I'll send it to you if you don't want to wait until the publication of the Isaiah notes that are still 26 weeks away 28 weeks away so much of verse 16 comes out eight different times in Psalm 119 now that one was not Davidic but that's Psalm 119 Psalmist like Hezekiah was affected by David's example Psalm 32, Psalm 6, Psalm 30, Psalm 78, Psalm 102, Psalm 61, so many of these. Psalm 27, of course, Psalm 23 6. Surely goodness and mercy. We will play, the Lord will surely save me. We will play my songs on stringed instruments all the days of our life at the house of the Lord. We will do this. Isn't that great? We will do this. And he's composing this song. I think this is this is powerful. Three years before Manasseh is born, he says, "We're going to sing these songs. We're going to sing this song." And he does so three years before. Why? Why was it three years before Manasseh got born? Well, three years was the sign he'd been given to promise him that Assyria is not coming back. Okay. God's not going to give him that son until he makes good on that three-year promise. They're going to eat, they're going to eat, they're going to eat, and in three years they're going to have their crops restored, and they're going to have the normal agricultural process from then on. Assyria will not destroy Judah. That's not for another 150 years until Babylon comes along. Manasseh won't be born until three years. Oh, there's so much here. All right. And then, like I say, these verses are out of order. They make no sense after the song. Um, Isaiah had said, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. By the way, there's nothing wrong while you're praying to also seek medical care. Go ahead and do both. Anyway, this ends up being a, a procedure in addition to the prayer and the promise of the restoration. And uh, then what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? Notice, not what is the sign that I'm going to live longer. What is the sign that I get to go worship? That I get to go worship? David asked the same thing. Restore me to the joy of my salvation and I will go to the house of the Lord and worship. I will teach sinners in the way. Finally, sin is cast behind the back. Isn't that great? Look at verse 17. Lo, for my own welfare I had great bitterness. It is you who has kept my soul from the pit of nothingness. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. Have you found that you've placed your own sins front and center in front of your eyes? David said that in Psalm 51. He said, my iniquity is always before me. Because he was unrepentant and he hadn't confessed. Until you're restored to fellowship, your sin is front and center right in front of you. But when you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then it's not right in your face all the time. Then you can just chuck it over your shoulder. Because God did that. It's cast, not just behind your back, it's cast behind His back. He didn't want to look at that anymore. Why does He want to look at that? Whatever sin that was, He already put it on His Son. That sin was on His Son on Friday, April 3rd, 33 AD. God didn't want to look at that ever again. And so this is part of all the collection of verses. I love these, and I've, I've shared these with you many, many times. They're cast behind his back. How far are they cast? As far as the east is from the west. That's pretty far, isn't it? That's Psalm 103, verse 12. He has removed our iniquity from us as far as the east is from the west. Not only that, but he sealed them up in a bag, according to Job 14:17. If they're sealed in a bag, how are you going to get them back out again to look at them? God sealed them up in a bag and he threw them behind his back as far as the east is from the west. How do you get that far? And then cast into the depths of the sea. Micah 719. You probably maybe didn't know that. And Jacob's singing down deep in the sea. Okay? It's Micah 719. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son. I thank You for Your plan. I thank You for what You did, what Your Son did on the cross. I thank You that my sins are cast behind Your back, sealed in a bag, as far as the east is from the west, plunged into the depths of the sea. Father, I thank You that we are eternally forgiven. By believing in Jesus Christ, Father, we receive eternal life. We can't lose it. We can't dredge our sins back up we can't condemn ourselves again father we have been declared righteous the court has issued the sentence i am innocent i am righteous and i have an inheritance with you for all eternity i thank you for that father i thank you because of that we can fellowship over the communion table because of what he accomplished in his sinless perfection and in the priestly service of his spiritual death on the cross. That Father, he entered into the heavenly Holy of Holies. He He didn't have to sacrifice first for himself and then for the sins of the people. He was the Lamb, spotless and blameless. He interceded on our behalf. And I thank you for his work before you. I thank You, Father, that my sins were imputed to His account and His righteousness is now imputed to my account. As we come to the communion table today, Father, I'm just so thankful for what we have received in Christ, what we're looking forward to in the coming kingdom. This is a memorial. It's also a proclamation. We proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Father, I ask as we partake of, of communion today that we would be... Um, intimate, that we would be mindful of who you are and who your son is and what you achieved, what he achieved, that we would not just simply mindlessly go through a ritual and impatiently hurry to get it over with, but that, Father, you would draw us nearer. Draw us nearer, Father. And I thank you in Jesus Christ, most precious and holy name. Amen.